the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and hour number two is now underway. Ten minutes past ten o'clock on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good Thursday to you. It's the twenty second morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, twenty nineteen. Do not let this day be wasted. checks we will talk gun control we will probably also try to squeeze in some economic conversation about the state of ohio uh the state of the state of ohio rather so that's coming up you're not going to want to miss that at about ten thirty-five. now though we welcome our friend dr everett piper back to our program as we do each and every thursday dr piper is the former president of oklahoma wesleyan university he's a columnist for the washington times he's a best-selling author his uh best work or at least his most uh, uh well-known work is not a daycare the Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. You should definitely read that book. Dr. Piper, good to have you back on the program, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you, as always, Dr. Piper. And before I make the mistake of forgetting again, <laughs> our mutual friend, Khalid Namar, who is, uh, uh, along with his uh, 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 co-founder of the American Trinity Project, Dan Messina, hosting the Liberty Lounge, an event coming up next month that you are going to be the keynote speaker at right here in Northeast Ohio. And I told uh, Khalid that I said I would not forget this time around to talk to you about that and uh, and let everybody know about this great event. Uh, what can you say? Well, I'm really looking forward to coming back to Ohio. I, I actually have a degree from Bowling Green State University, so I guess in some sense of the word, I've got some Buckeye roots yeah. or Falcon roots, as you might suggest. So I'm looking forward to coming back home and talking about liberty and law and freedom and senses and how we can have a robust uh, 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 conversation of justice and freedom and liberty within the context of the Constitution. 
I, I did not know that you had those Bowling Green roots. That is very cool. I, I love that fact. I did I had no idea you had any uh, Ohio history at all. So that so in a, in a way, it is kind of coming back home, so to speak, for you when you speak at the Liberty Lounge. It's going to be a great event. No, I got. I have to make it clear that I actually am from Michigan, so it's very hard. Oh no. To <laughs> it's very hard for me to say I'm coming back home to Ohio, okay? <laughs> Thursday, September 5th at Wagner's in Westlake. Uh, it is the Liberty Lounge, and uh, Dr. Everett Piper is going to be the keynote speaker. Uh, my friend uh, uh, Tom Zawistowski is going to be the moderator of the event. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Tickets are available at Eventbrite. The uh, theme is Keeping the Republic, Keeping the Republic. And uh, Dr. Piper is going to be the uh, uh, is going to be the keynote speaker. I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, all right, Dr. Piper. Piper, let's dive into a few of the issues today. You and I often have, and and almost always have, uh, discussions about our culture, discussions about faith, uh, discussions about the importance of spirituality in society, and and quite frankly, um, you know, your most recent column uh, kind of addresses that. And I want to read just a very brief tweet that you sent out when you posted your column in the Washington Times about human beings and their definitions. Everything is lost. If we don't properly define what it means to be human, the innocence of children, the dignity of women, civil rights, religious liberty, all hangs in the balance and will be taken by arrogant oligarchs if we get this one wrong. That's kind of your prelude to the column, and I'll let you use that as a launching point for the discussion here. When I studied under Chuck Colson uh, some 10 years ago before he died, it was one of the greatest privileges of my life. Colson was a prophet for our time, one of the greatest men I think that I've ever had the opportunity to rub elbows with. Colson talked about first things, and the very first question of every worldview, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, whether it's Muslim, whether it's atheism, whether it's agnosticism. Every worldview answers this basic question first and foremost. Who is man? What is man and what is our nature? Who are we? And the answer to that question as to who we are sets the foundation and the context for everything else. And if that, is a, uh, if that answer gives you a foundation of sand, then everything crumbles thereafter also. So who are we? If we're endowed by our Creator with certain self-evident truths and unalienable rights, then we, the people, are defined as the Imago Dei, the image of God. We are endowed by our Creator with the capacity to understand moral debate and moral culpability and moral responsibility and the responsibility to make personal choices that lead to a greater measure of human freedom for everybody around us. If we don't define who we are properly from the get-go, then you fall into the errors of Marxism and communism and despotism, because... People will rise up and declare themselves to be as God rather than in the image of God, or they'll start dumbing down the definition of what it means to be a human being to the imago dog rather than the imago dei, the image of the animal, rather than complementing the human being as the image of God. And that's what you see in the Rainbow Coalition today. They dumb down the definition of the human being to nothing but the sum total of one's inclinations and appetites and habits and instincts, and therefore... They insult the human being by suggesting that he and she is nothing but an animal that ruts about and is defined by the base, rather than the grand and the glorious, the beautiful and the good. You have to define things properly from the beginning, and the definition of we the people is necessary if you're going to be able to retain the republic and keep the republic. If you define we the people wrongly, the republic is lost. 
Fascinating um, introductory commentary here. Um, I, I've read the column of, of which you're speaking right now, and you've obviously gone into more depth there. Uh, and you talk about Marcy Hamilton, who is the uh, professor at the University of Pennsylvania. You also point out that she's a former law clerk for Sandra Day O'Connor, and that her definition and her description of what it is to be human uh, is very much different than what you just described. It's, it, it is a Mago dog, like you pointed out. If, if, if inclinations equal human identity, she is correct to equate, for example, being gay or homosexual as the same as being black or Hispanic or Asian or native. If being human is nothing more than the sum total of one's sexual inclinations, then GLAD and, and the like are spot on in arguing that religious groups should be legally prohibited from discriminating against sexual fluidity in the same way they're prohibit, prohibited from discriminating against any other minority class. But you say she is desperately wrong. Explain that and explain it in the context of free will. Because, you know, if we're, okay. we're kind of equating human law with, you know, divine creation and, and, uh, you know, God's, humans in God's image and not just being the, the totality of our, of our inclinations and our desires. Um, God did, however, give us that free will. God said, you may pursue what you will, uh, and whatever it is that you desire, and, and that's going to be up to you to decide, and I will, of course, <laughs> judge accordingly what you have chosen to do with your free will at the end of, you know, at the end of your time. Uh, how, do, how do we, how do we, uh, how do we handle all of that together? Well, let's go back to what I, I cited at the beginning of this article, a Rosaria Butterfield, who is a former English and literature professor, professor at the University of Syracuse. At that time, she was an outspoken lesbian leader. In fact, she wrote the policies that are still used to this day at Syracuse for LGBTQ inclusion and whatnot. Rosaria Butterfield has become a Christian. She's now married to a Presbyterian pastor. She wrote a book called Openness Unhindered, and in that book she talks about this. She talks about the very word homosexual being a 19th century category error of Freudian, Freudian psychoanalysis. Previous to that time, there was no such thing as being a homosexual. And in fact, prior to the late 1800s, homosexuality was not even considered a personal character, characteristic. It was simply a behavioral choice. It wasn't until 1906 that the very word was even coined and began to be used in popular culture. It wasn't until after that that the word heterosexual was coined as a reaction to the word homosexual. The point is this. Gore Vidal, who was, an, <laughs> who was a proud... Uh, uh, um, he, he was proudly engaged in homosexual behavior and made that known in his debates with William F. Buckley Jr. and others. However, even Gore Vidal at this time back in the 60s said this. There is no more such thing as a homosexual person than there is a heterosexual person. These are behavioral adjectives. Even he got this. Now, we need to understand that the definition of the human has to be an objective fact. It can't be grounded in subjective feelings. And if we're going to give dignity to women, women have to be real. They can't be constructs of postmodern dialogue and debate. If blacks are going to have dignity, they have dignity because of their objective reality, and they can't be insulted by being equated with somebody who just happens to feel that they're black or feel that they have minority status. You have to have facts in order to have freedom. 
Without those facts, you're held into the bondage of those who have the power at the pulpit or the podium that control the narrative. Dr. Everett Piper joining us. You really need to read this article. I'll retweet it. I did. I retweeted it after he put it out a couple of days ago, but I'll send it out again. You want to read this uh, article by Dr. Piper in the Washington Times. Uh, Doctor, we're going to take our time out here. We're going to come back. I'm going to ask you, since we're talking about faith, we're going to talk about our Judeo-Christian country and our alliance with the nation of Israel, and obviously some very disturbing uh, developments over the course of the last few days. We're involving a couple of members of the uh, United States Congress. I'm going to get your thoughts on that as we continue on AM 1420 The Answer. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority Podcast. All right, 1024, I've got six minutes left to spend with uh, Dr. Everett Piper, uh, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and now a columnist at the Washington Times and the best-selling author as well. Dr. Piper, uh, Muslim representatives uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, I call them Jihad Omar and Sharia Tlaib for various reasons, they are anti-Israel representatives in our Congress. Quite literally, they introduced resolutions in Congress in support of BDS, boycotting, divesting, and sanctioning Israel, which is an attempt to essentially remove it from existence. They got very upset when they wanted to go and spread their propaganda in Israel, and we're dis, uh, we're, we're banned essentially from doing so. Uh, since then, we have had a host of, uh, events, uh, as, uh, some have accused Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government of being the puppet of Donald Trump, who spoke out against their potential visit. Uh, they want to censure now in some way, uh, the American envoy to Israel and vice versa. And President Trump, is uh is enjoying uh, some very popular you know high popularity uh, his status as the most pro israel president in my lifetime and maybe beyond that uh has been solidified here uh, as a man of faith uh as, as an evangelical and uh, a strong supporter of our judeo christian nation what say you well let's just ask some basic questions here does syria support religious freedom does Iran believe in the dignity of all human beings? Does Iraq or Jordan or Egypt elevate the dignity of the woman in terms of equal status with all men? No, they do not. Israel is the only partner we have in that region of the world that believes in human freedom and human dignity without question. Do Jews degrade other human beings and call them apes and pigs? No, they do not. Does the Koran actually denigrate Jews by calling them apes and pigs, monkeys and pigs, that were punished by God, and therefore he made them into those animals? These are things that we need to ask, and we get back to the definition of what it means to be human. If you degrade the human being to an ape or a pig, you can do anything to that new creature that you've created because he's less than you. You can enslave him, you can kill him. You can denigrate him. You can expel him. You can do anything you want if you actually downgrade the definition of the human being, and that's what, that's what Islam does, and Jews do not. Why do we stand with Israel? Because they hold the same definition of what it means to be human that we do. They understand the obligation to be a free people, or the opportunity to be a free people, and the obligation we have to support that freedom and to fight for that freedom. That's why you see Israel supporting democracy, religious freedom, uh, human dignity, and the elevation of women, and you see the opposite 
on all of its borders. That is very well said. Um, they have tried to equate, they being Omar and Talib and their supporters, um, their 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 banishment from Israel or their refu- you know their their I don't know how another way to say that they were not allowed to to uh, uh, to travel there. They've tried to equate that with some of the travel restrictions to uh, then apartheid era South Africa. Uh, suggesting that the Israeli government is is evil and operating in the same manner that the South African um, government did. Um, it, it's a loser. It, it's clearly not accurate. It's a terrible comparison, but this is how far that they will go to demonize Jews. Uh, President Trump, listening to that and listening to everything else that they have said that is anti-Semitic, declared yesterday that... Uh, uh, Democrat voters, or let me rephrase, Jewish voters who vote Democrat, um, especially anti-Semitic ones, are showing disloyalty. And he was instantly criticized for that. I don't believe he meant disloyalty to America or disloyalty to him. He's talking about being disloyal to themselves, disloyal to Jews. If you support anti-Semitic members of Congress, you literally are harming Israel and you are harming yourselves. What was your takeaway from that? I agree with you. I, he's not talking about being disloyal to him or or America or any of the Jewish allies. He's tell, he's asking the logical question: Why would any people vote uh, to their their own demise? Why would any people support an agenda that calls for them to be exterminated, to be wiped off the face of the earth, to be pushed into the Mediterranean Sea, to have to give up every inch of property that they own? Why would anybody vote for a party or an agenda that repeatedly calls them apes and pigs? He's saying when you vote for the Democratic Party, when you vote for sympathy for these extreme views of Islam, you're voting in a way that shows disloyalty to your own existence. Why would you do that? And uh, the president, we're not going to have time to hit this today, but the president has drawn a lot of support from some people who have suggested that he is the strongest ally for Jews and for Israel, and in fact is akin to the king of Israel, according to many Jews in Israel who really appreciate all of his support. Uh, that has drawn a little bit of fire as well, but we'll address that the next time we speak. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper, uh, tr- again, columnist at the Washington Times, tremendous conversation. Thank you so much for the time, sir. Blessings, Bob. Take care. You got it. 1030 now. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine joins me next on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty-five. the Bob France Authority back and continuing on AM 1420, The Answer. Until 11 o'clock, we'll bring you Mike Gallagher, Dennis Prager, Dr. G., Jay Sekulow live, and of course Larry Elder to follow right here on AM 1420, The Answer. After the Dayton shooting two weekends ago, which of course coincided in the same weekend with the El Paso shooting, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine said this, among other things. These orders, which would be granted upon clear and convincing evidence, would allow the removal of firearms from potentially dangerous individuals and get them the mental health treatment that they need get them whatever help that they need. Individuals could be subject to a safety protection order if they present an imminent risk of injury to themselves. Suicide, for example. Or they present that risk to another person because of mental health issues, because of drug dependency, 
chronic alcoholism, or other serious conditions. All right. So Governor Mike DeWine at that time speaking uh, to the people of the state asking the Ohio General Assembly to pass laws that are often uh, referred to as red flag laws. And that was drew a red flag from a lot of gun rights activists. And Governor Mike DeWine joins us now to discuss further on AM 1420 The Answer. Mr. Governor, it's good to have you back on our program. We talked last right before your election as governor. So uh, it's good to talk to you now in the official capacity. How are you, sir? It's, it's been a while, Bob. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. I actually, I just left uh, Dayton uh, this morning. I had a meeting with over 100 uh, pastors uh, to really just listen to their concerns, but also I w- wanted to be able to explain to them uh, the package proposal that we have put in front of the General Assembly and certainly um, the individual protection orders that you just referenced are one of the things that I was talking with the pastors about. Uh, did you meet also with uh, Mayor Whaley uh, to, uh, today or, or recently? I did. I did. did. She, I, I did. She was she was at the meeting, and uh, she and I put the meeting together. And uh, it was uh, uh, really it was a. Uh, it, it's always good just to listen to people uh, and hear what they have to say. These are all leaders in the Dayton Dayton community uh, uh, of various backgrounds, various religions. Uh, you know, we we had uh, probably most of the people in the room are Christian, but we also uh, also had uh, a rabbi there who was there. Uh, we had uh, several people who uh, said they were Muslim. Uh, so it was a it was a real great great mix of faith based leaders in in the Dayton area. Before we talk about the proposals that you are putting in front of the assembly, um, I, I want I have to ask you because. I thought you did a, a wonderful job of trying to unify people and bring people together. I think a lot of the faith uh, leaders that you just mentioned tried to bring people together in the aftermath of that terrible Dayton shooting. I thought President Trump tried to bring people together in the aftermath as well with his visit, which was condemned vociferously by Mayor Whaley. What was your opinion of her uh, uh, expression that she did not want the President of the United States to come and show his support for the community of Dayton when he did? Well, I'm not sure she said that exactly. Um, you know, what she did do is hold a press conference. She and Sherrod Brown, Senator Brown, after after the president left, and talked about you know what she thought the president should do on the, on the national scene. I, I will tell you, Fran and I were um, in the hospital. Uh, the president president came in, uh, went directly to the hospital. In the hospital, he met with some of the victims who were who were still in the hospital. Uh, went into their rooms. Uh, he and the first lady, uh, they were uh, very, very well received uh, in that hospital. Uh, even had one mom uh, who, who saw the president go by her son's room, and her son that Friday night had been in a horrible, horrific motorcycle accident. Uh, she asked the president if he would come in and see her son, and, and he and the first lady uh, did. Uh, the president also saw uh, a number of victims who had been wounded who were actually out of the hospital but came back and gathered in a room uh president met with the first responders uh met with the police officers who stopped uh the assailant uh met with paramedics and met with uh, a lot of uh emergency room and hospital personnel and and to a person uh, i don't think uh, there's an exception to this the president was extremely well received uh people wanted to have their picture taken with him uh, the first lady, Fran and I just really observed the first lady and when she went in and talked to uh, some, you know, someone who had been injured. They're still in the bed. They can't get out of the bed. 
Um, and, you know, she would lean down and talk to them very, very softly, very, very compassionate. So I thought, you know, what I saw occurring inside that hospital, and I was with the president from the time he walked in until the time he walked out, uh, people wanted him to come. They wanted want him to, to meet with them. Uh, and I suppose if someone didn't want him to come, they, they weren't there uh, or they didn't, you know, meet with him. But everybody right. met with him. Uh, I thought that, you know, they appreciated him being there very, very much. And I thought he did a very nice job. And the First Lady uh, certainly did a, just, you know, a great, great job. Yeah, the uh, the mayor uh, indicated she was not pleased uh, with his uh, with his presence or with his speech, saying, "quote I'm disappointed with his remarks." He mentioned gun issues one time. I think watching the president over the last few years on the issue of guns, I'm not sure he knows what he believes. There's just a lot of divisiveness there. There at a time that I think unity was called for, and that's what the president came to do—not to have a political discussion about guns, but to well, support look, for the community. Look, look. Look, we got we got to pull people together, uh, and you know I've been trying to 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 do that. And you know what I said when I, uh, you know I, other uh, that that I made on Tuesday. It was a Tuesday after the Sunday shooting, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought it was important uh, to lead. I thought it was important as governor. We need to outline exactly where we need to go, or at least where I think we need to go. Uh, many of those proposals, uh, interestingly, we had been working on for some time. I mean, this whole thing about what we call personal protection orders, uh, some other people refer to it as red flag. Uh, yeah. That drives my, my, my Second Amendment friends absolutely crazy to use that term. But uh, we've been working on that with the Second Amendment community for at least three months. John Houston, my lieutenant governor, was very, very active in, in, in working on that. Andy Wilson, who was the prosecuting attorney, used to be prosecutor in Springfield, Clark County, and he now works for me. He worked on that. So we have something that we think is constitutional. We think respects people's Second Amendment rights, but but also uh, has the ability to separate uh, people from guns when those people are dangerous to themselves or dangerous to others. Well, that's what I wanted to discuss with you. We're talking with Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. In, on your um, proposal, uh, at least according to the webpage, the, your, your webpage, the governor's webpage, uh, you describe the safety protection orders this way, or does your staff. Governor DeWine is asking the legislature to pass a law to allow courts to issue safety protection orders which would remove firearms from potentially dangerous individuals and get them the mental health treatment the treatment they need, all while maintaining an individual's right to due process. Now, what I'm concerned about, and what I know a lot of people who call this program are concerned about, is how are we going to remove firearms from, quote, potentially dangerous individuals without determining uh, who is, quote, potentially dangerous and giving them their full due process? If we take the firearms first, then ask whether or not they are, uh, you know, and then determine rather whether or not they are quote unquote dangerous. They have actually not been granted due process. How do sure, we square that? Sure. And we, 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 Bob, we agree with that. Uh, we looked at what other states had done. There's 17 states that have done something in this area. Uh, I believe that uh, by far ours will have more constitutional protection than any of the other ones. Uh, Indiana passed one. Uh, my understanding is, is you can remove a gun without a court hearing, uh, at least on a temporary basis. We don't allow that. Uh, what what we what we do is we have a, a process. Uh, this can be initiated either by family members, and I'll tell you my experience as a prosecutor uh, is that it's usually family members who are the ones who are raising their hands and say, "My God, do something! Somebody's got to do something." So, as family members can initiate the procedure. Or the police can initiate the procedure. No one else can initiate it, first of all. 
The procedure is, and I'll do a, do a kind of quick summary, but the court, once this is filed in court, and we expect it would be filed by a prosecutor, so the prosecutor obviously has to be convinced that there is evidence there. Uh, then the judge would have to have a hearing within three days. That's a, that, that would be kind of a preliminary hearing. Go- Governor, I need uh, to back up for a second because I want to make sure I, yeah, I sure, understand sure. the timeline of how sure. this would work. So yep. a family member has a suspicion about another family member potentially being a danger to himself or others, and he knows he has firearms or access to guns. You, you you jumped right to court, a prosecutor saying something. What what happens before that? Are are police going to the the home of this nope. individual nope. and seizing guns? Nope. Okay, so we're just nope. going to are we dragging nope. this individual to a courtroom or is this being done in in, well, in, in his I, absence? How does that work? Well, no, no, uh, we're not going to drag him, and but we're not going to do it uh, without notifying him. So, uh, you know, he would have to be served. Uh, which, uh, you know, as you know, means that you have to personally put a piece of paper in his hand and tell him, hey, there's going to be a hearing on such and such a date. Uh, so he's got to be notified. Uh, when he goes to that hearing, he, has, he certainly has the right to have a lawyer. The burden of proof is upon the prosecutor, not upon him. Uh, it, the, the way we've got it set up, it's two stages. Uh, one is, is, is the quicker, the preliminary, which has to be held within three days. Uh, by a judge, judge has to schedule it within three days. Got to serve the guy. Got to let him come into court. Uh, the standard there is probable cause. Is a probable cause to believe this person is a danger to himself and, a da- and or a danger to others. Uh, if that's probable cause, the court can issue a temporary order to the police to have guns removed. But within 12 days, uh, there has to, there has to be a full hearing, another hearing basically a second hearing, and the standard there is a higher standard for the prosecutor, and it's a clear and convincing evidence uh, that has to be proven. And what we do, and, and I don't want to... What has to what has time, to be proven, I, sir, if I may? Yeah, what, what do you mean? It's, yep, what, what, clear exactly and convincing what evidence has to, to be proven. Here's what it is. I'm going to read directly from what we are proposing to the legislature. Uh, we talk about a dangerous individual. An individual is dangerous if the individual presents an imminent risk of injury to themselves or another person or the individual presents a my my, uh hold on just a minute my ipad is now giving me fits i apologize for that that's okay in fact let me let me let me fill this gap while you fix the ipad with this question all right, I got no, it. I understand. Right, I understand. Ahead. Let me let me let me ask you this question, uh, Mr. Dwan, yep. if yep. I may, uh, Mr. Governor. Rather, um, you say if somebody is an imminent danger to themselves, then we say that we have to schedule a date for these hearings. If something is imminent, what is to yeah. stop somebody from killing them or you know using that weapon on themselves or on well, somebody else yeah. in the interim while we wait for this court hearing? We would still have a current Ohio law, which is. Used, it, we, we used to refer to as is the pink slip law. The slip is no longer pink. It's white, I'm told. Mm-hmm. But basically, if you've got someone who you think uh, is an imminent risk to themselves and you're the family member, uh, you, you know you can get, get a, a pink slip, which means the person is taken to a hospital, or they're taken, and, and they're doing, they do a psychiatric evaluation. So we, this is current law. So it would it would fill in this three day gap that exists. So you make a very very valid point. But the current law would take care of, of that. What we want to do with this law is make sure there there is there is due process. Let me just read it. Individual, yes, please. Person is dangerous if the individual presents an imminent risk of injury to themselves or another, or or 
the individual presents a risk of personal injury to themselves or another person in the future, the individual either, A, has a mental illness that may be basically says if they have a mental illness and they're not taking, and they're supposed to take meds and they're not taking meds, or uh, is the subject of a documented evidence that would give rise to a reasonable belief that the individual has a propensity for violent or emotional unstable conduct. Example of so that. So now we're, now we're into dangerous ground. Yep. Well, now, 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 if I may, if I may offer or ask you your opinion yeah, on this, sure, we're in dangerous sure, ground sure. here. Now, now, that part is different than a than a a diagnosed mental illness, especially one for which somebody is prescribed medication or treatment of some kind, and that they may not be taken. Now, but the last part, the propensity to violence, because what, as you well know, uh, Mr. Governor, we live in this strange, weird, polarized society where someone can identify someone else on the basis of a political, ideological difference, saying, that guy's dangerous. In other words, my fear, and a lot of people that I've talked to since this has happened and these, these discussions have started, our fear is that people who point to other people wearing red Trump hats are violent. This guy's got guns. He's got a Trump hat, and so therefore, and he's a family member. You know, we have these all these kinds of uh, 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 conflicts with one another all the time. Somebody can just be accused of being somebody with a propensity of viol- for violence just because somebody sees them as perhaps a Trump supporter, or you know, somebody uh, you can be accused of being a, a white nationalist or something crazy where no crime has been committed, no crime is in the planning stages, but somebody can just say, that guy's got a propensity to violence, I don't like it, he's got a gun, I'm going to court to have his guns taken away. Where's the due process come in? That's what I need to find out. Uh, All right, let me walk through it. Number one, an individual can't do it. It has to be done by the police, or it has to be done by a family member to even start the process, to even start, Mm -hmm. so your neighbor can't even start the process. That's, num- that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, when I read this, it says the individual presents a risk of personal injury to themselves or another person in the future. In the future, so you have to first establish that in court by evidence for a judge. So, and then we get to the next one. So the next one that you objected to is a subject of document evidence that would give rise to reasonable belief. Well, I, I would actually object to the first one, too. <laughs> I would absolutely, because the, the words in the future, we're asking people to bring out their crystal balls well, and say, I can predict what okay, that person's yeah, going to yeah, do in the future. My, well, that's a well, troubling well, aspect, well, too. <laughs> hey, all right, hang with me here a minute. Hang with yeah. me here a minute. Uh, you, you may disagree, but let me explain at least what our rationale is. Okay. Uh, a large number of people who commit these crimes uh are not mentally ill. Uh, some of them are, uh, but some of them simply, uh, you know, probably are not mentally ill, but they have a propensity to violence. And propensity to violence, what do you do with the person uh, who is on, on, who has been telling people around them, let's just make up a case. Uh, I'm going uh, uh, and you've got people who will come in and say, yeah, Billy Bob said he's going to shoot up the school tomorrow, or Mary Sue said she's going to do that. Or they post on Facebook, uh, you know, people people need to die. Uh, and we can come up with all different scenarios. Don't and those are, those are direct threats, somebody. though, Mr. Governor. Those are direct threats, and I would agree. Absolutely, we should act okay. on direct threats posed either verbally or online. But but what we're talking about is not direct threats. We're talking about trying to 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 
uh, you know, as as a soothsayer, you know, get a get an idea of somebody's future ability or propensity to potentially commit an act based on either mental illness, psychological disorders, or as you just say, uh, you know, rage issues. Well, we're for, trying for to pick. We're trying to predict, and I and you know, future crimes are well, that's, that's a dangerous yes, territory. Yes. Well, first of all, we're not putting them in jail. Uh, right. You know what we're talking about doing. Uh, is on a temporary basis separating them from their guns. So let, let's let's make sure we understand. We're not trying to put people in jail for this. No, I understand. I we're understand. Trying, we're trying to separate them. But let me go. Let's go back. And again, as as as, as the prosecutor, I, I was a prosecutor. I I would have to prove this. But the first thing I've got to prove is, you know, I have to lay it out, and the burden's on me to prove it uh, by clear and convincing evidence that the person presents a danger to themselves or a danger to others. i got to prove that before we get to anything else. And second, I, then I have to prove one of the other three things, uh, and that has, has to be proven. So one is uh, that you're, you, you have a problem with uh, the individual's propensity for violence, violent or emotionally unstable conduct. Another one be is a drug dependent, the danger of drug dependence. Another one is as a mental illness. And he's not taking the meds. So any of those, basically any of those three. But before you even get to that, if you're talking about the future, you have to say you have to prove that this person is a danger to themselves. You have to, or you have to prove there's, and or you have to prove they're dangerous to someone else. Look, we can we can parse the words uh, and go back and forth, and the legislature is certainly going to have ample opportunity uh, to do this. I'm not. Oh, no I, doubt, I'm no doubt. Kinder, because because somebody's going to have to answer. So I propose. Yep. Mr. Governor, somebody's also going to have to answer to this question. While the prosecutor's up there with the burden of proof, the defendant who is being prosecuted for a crime that has not been committed, okay, which is troubling well, enough, all, is going to have to defend it. Well, but I'm saying a prosecutor's you're doing the... You're, you're the, a lawyer, the, you use the wrong words. It's not prosecuted. Well, no, but no, but no, but, but, but sir, but sir, what I mean is, you you are talking about a prosecutor by definition. The prosecutor is going to try to prove that somebody this person to, is a danger to themselves. So yeah. why do we have somebody who is a prosecutor in, involved in a case where no crime has been committed? That that's what I'm saying. And then the defense. The person who is being accused of potentially being a threat to himself or others has to hire an attorney just based on the words of, of a, possibly a family member or somebody close to them who says, I think this guy might be dangerous. Now they've got to hire an attorney, which could cost them thousands of dollars to defend themselves in a case because he, who they've never committed a crime, but somebody thinks they might someday. That's a pretty tough ask for for a civilian to be asked to get an attorney well, to defend his own rights to own a gun, which is guaranteed him by the Second Amendment. Uh, still, do, we still have due process. Mm-hmm. It still has to be done by a judge. Uh, it is more due process than any other state has had. Indiana the law that was signed by then Governor Pence. Uh, this bill that I'm presenting that, that you don't like, which I respect, but it has a lot, lot more due process than what Indiana has passed, and Indiana has not seen seemed to have a huge problem uh, in the years since Pence was governor uh, uh, with this with this law. So, you know, we we, we can we can debate this out, uh, but I. I you know, we have built in the due process, and we have worked with a number of people uh, who probably feel as strong or not stronger about the Second Amendment than you do. Uh, and a number of them have basically told us, look, uh, you know, let's make sure we got the words right. But we think, you know, you're not only heading in the right direction, but we think you've got something that we can actually support. 
I know there are no easy answers, and I, and I hope this didn't come off as combative. I know you're doing everything you can to try to address this while staying in the boundaries of the Second Amendment, of the Constitution, and also trying to protect people. I know it's not easy for any leader, governor, legislator, or anybody else. So this is going to be an ongoing discussion. I hope it doesn't turn into a battle per se, but I hope that our uh, legislators that you have uh, you have appealed to to try to address this do keep in mind some of the things that I just mentioned about the rights of an individual who has not been accused of a crime, but is being accused of potentially someday maybe wanting to commit a crime uh, because uh, and, and perhaps losing their Second Amendment rights over that because I think that's a very serious issue, and I know you do as well, and I know every legislator in that assembly does as well. So I wish you all the very best in trying to find the right solution to balance uh, you know, the protection of, of, of our citizens uh, with, of course, the rights of our citizens, and I know that's what we all, uh, all uh, desire. Bob, good, uh, good being with you, and I look forward to talking in the future. Thank you so much, Governor. I really appreciate your time, All sir. Right. Have, a, have a wonderful day. Thank you. That's Governor Mike DeWine. Uh, he is. He's got a tough job. Uh, I'm just, I know it. I understand it. There's no easy answer here. He has been tasked, like every other elected leader, with finding a solution to all of these gun incidents, these mass shootings in particular. It's not easy. I, and I, and I hope it didn't come off as an attacking thing, but I do feel like these safety protection orders, otherwise known as red flag laws, are just rife with problems, potential problems with due process, uh, constitutional rights, and and more. All right, that's all the time that I've got. I went way long with the governor, so I don't have time to come back with a final segment. I'm going to say goodbye right now. Mike Gallagher is coming up after a few short words, and we're back tomorrow with a free-for-all Friday. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.